Take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We'll be reading the first 13 verses. And I'll, I checked and I <clears throat> pastor preached from this passage almost exactly one year ago. And I'm by no means copying his outline, nor preaching what he preached. I'm just going to go at it from a different angle. But if you want to hear a good message also, you can go to the website, go to the Witnesses of the Word, and it's sermon number 8011 that he preached this passage. Uh, But again, I'm feeling led to go at a different angle from this passage. And the verse we'll be concentrating upon at the end will be verse 13, uh, but the entire passage kind of helps lead us into what uh, we believe the Lord would have me to preach tonight. Acts chapter 4, let's stand as we read. And as they, talking about John and Peter, spake unto the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men were about five thousand. It came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, Be known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him did this man stand here before you whole. Then he quotes from Psalm 118, This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Three main thoughts I want us to kind of go away with this, this evening. Number one is a biblical worldview needs to be proclaimed. And number, secondly, a biblical worldview needs boldness. And thirdly, a biblical worldview's inspiration that encourages us to boldness. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you tonight. Oh, how, Father, we're so thankful that you are sovereign, that you are in control. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of coming together this evening to worship you, to look into your word. And Lord, we pray that as we look into this passage, that we will be stirred up to boldness to stand for the truth of your word. Lord, may we develop more and more spiritual strength to be able to do what you would have us to do in these days that we face. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. Thank you. May we be seated. A couple weeks ago, Mary and I went to Almost Heaven, and for those of you that don't know, that's West Virginia. Uh, I mean, actually, that's how they describe it, West Virginia, Almost Heaven. And um, 
Anyhow, we were there, and Mary bought for my birthday a book that I've been wanting called A Gathering Storm by Al Mohler, who is a Southern Baptist preacher, but a good, solid preacher. And, um, and so that, with that in mind, and also some other things have been laid on, the Lord been laying on my heart that would be kind of the basis of the message this morning. I mean, not his outline or thing, but just the thought. And he, he, gathered, he borrowed that phrase for his title of his book, from Winston Churchill's book, or series of books, I should say, that were his memoirs, and how that uh, the first, in several volumes, the first volume was called A Gathering Storm. And what it is referring to, Winston Churchill, one reason he was promoted real quickly to be prime minister during World War II is that all through the 30s, he kept warning people, you better watch out for that mustache short fella in Germany. You better watch out for Adolf Hitler. A storm is gathering because of him. And he was right. And it came. And so, therefore, Al Mohler wrote a book called A Gathering Storm. Now, this is somewhat may seem like a political sermon, but it's not. Believe me. It's not that at all. But what we're facing in our society, in our culture, in our nation, are a lot of issues that the world wants to make it political but are really biblical issues. And so, we, as we look in this particular passage, I know there's, there's a, the spiritual aspect of preaching about Jesus Christ, but you know, the leader's response is basically it's the same as what we're dealing with today. Uh, a, a conflict between the world's view and a biblical view of principles that are important to life. Now, I first consider a few of the things that the world is hollering because we need to understand it. the world does not want us to just recognize what their position is. They want to annihilate us. They want to silence us. They want to just completely change our thinking if possible. And the spiritual ramifications of that are very potentially dangerous. There is a gathering storm in our society. Kind of like Dr. Pretoria mentioned this past Sunday, if Trump gets elected, things are going to get worse because the people, the left is not going to like it. But if the other side gets elected, it's going to get much worse. And it's because of the, the conflict, the clash of the worldviews, the world's worldview and our biblical worldview. Let's consider several things that are on, that we're having to deal with, that they're, again, they've made political, but are spiritual issues. Number one, the realm of sexuality. Amen. The LGBT group is demanding that we accept them and approve of them and go along with them and do anything that they want us to do. And it is the becoming, and I've thought this for some time, it is going to be one of the primary issues that they'll use against Bible preaching churches. And we're seeing it, it's on the horizon now. So it's not a political issue, it's a spiritual issue. Are we going to stand for the truth of God's holy word or capitulate just so we won't make enemies and so the world will like us? Sexuality, transgenderism. I mean, just like the, the idiocy of, of having a male who thinks he's a girl compete in girl sports. That is becoming an issue. What about abortion? That is a spiritual issue. They want to call it women's reproductive rights. 
No, their rights stopped when they took their clothes off and conceived a baby out of wedlock, or even if they are married, well, I don't want a responsibility of a child. It hampers my self-expression. That's a spiritual issue. That's nothing but pure selfishness. And abortion is nothing but a murder of a, a conceived child in the mother's womb. And we'd all agree with that. But you think about how, again, the, the two sides are it's becoming such a conflict between those that stand for truth of the conception of a child at the moment of conception or those that want to murder a child. It's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. Those thing also of parental rights. Just reading an article in Answers in Genesis this last week that a lot of teachers are tweeting on what, what, well, Twitter. I'm not sure exactly what Twitter is. only thing I know what Twittering is the bird, the bird Twitters. Uh, but anyhow, the, the, this social media about Twitter and how they're saying they're really concerned about this having the children at home watching online because they're afraid the parents might be overhearing what they want to teach. And so they're saying is we, they want to have a disclaimer, some of them want a disclaimer that the parents will not listen. And what they're saying is, the par- they're basically, some of them are even saying that parents are dangerous because they conflict with what we want to teach them. That's a spiritual issue. Because God has commanded, what's it say in Ephesians chapter 6, Fathers bring, uh, parents bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And God's given that responsibility to us parents, not to the state. But they're making that an issue. There was a, they had a, um, a seminar, whatever you want to call it, at Harvard University, where one of the main speaker was fighting how that homeschooling is one of the, a very dangerous thing because they can't brainwash the children. That's a spiritual issue. And those, those seeds are being planted now. And one of these days, we will be reaping that anti-Bible viewpoint. And as far as that's concerned, to understand even the state of Tennessee tried to pass a law stating that they were going to do a, a, an overall um, evaluation of every child in the state of Tennessee. And... If they, they don't respond to an email, then they're going to call them. If they don't respond to the call then they're going to go into the home and evaluate if the child is being balanced according to their viewpoint. That's a spiritual issue. It's a gathering storm. Let's consider the realm of science. Whether it's evolution or even climate change. They, they, anybody that says, well, that's not true... That's not what happened. What do they say? You're anti-science. Just like uh, there's a road there in Sunset Beach, Mary and I have driven down, beside, uh, down before, and this person has in their, a placard there in their front yard and making their statement, making their statement. It says, black lives matter, love is love. Of course, it was referring to homosexuality. Science is real. And they're making these statements. And what are they trying to do? Anybody that's contrary to that, they're trying to make it look like we're idiots and we shouldn't be listened to. Of course, I'll tell you, the person that put that up, I'm sure feels around because if you drive down that street, it's maybe a mile long, there must be six big Trump flags hanging out there. (laughs) But what about racism? 
You know, that's a biblical issue. Uh, when Mary and I were on vacation, we stayed at an Airbnb, and the people that owned it, uh, they had been, he worked for Saudi oil company, obviously made millions of dollars, and they bought this big fancy place and uh, built back in the 1830s, and they, they uh, re, uh, refurbished it, and, but they had a house on the side where we stayed at. And, uh, but we got to talking about with them and everything, and how they talking about how they, they'd traveled, they'd, he'd worked in 30 to 40 different countries and been around the world four times. And was talking about how that he said the people everywhere you go, they're all pretty much the same. And I told him, I said, well, you know, my wife and I, we embrace a biblical worldview. And there's only one race. That's the human race. And you know, that's what the Bible teaches. The answer to Black Lives Matter is biblical Christianity. But you, to hear them... It's just, it's a, well, we could go into that. Uh, I could get real political here. Uh, but anyhow, if you think about that, but that's the, what the world's view. They got to, I don't know if how many of y'all may have seen on a commercial, and I don't remember what station it was on, where it said, no lives matter until black lives matter. That was a commercial on television. And it's just completely contrary to biblical Christianity's teaching. What about the response to authority? You know, that's the thing about it. That's one reason the left, the progressive, well, I don't like to call them the progressive because that sounds too positive. I like to call them the digressives. Okay? But uh, one reason so many people are listening to them and being cowered by them is because they're willing to get violent, which that's what we're seeing. And see, we don't respond that way because we want to be submissive to the scriptures that says, honor the king. Obey them that are in authority over you. The only time we can go against, as we all know, authority, government authority is that they require us to do something contrary to the Scripture. But see, that's another issue. Again, that's a spiritual issue. Let's consider also religious liberty. This book that I read, Gathering, the Gather, A Gathering Storm, brought out how that there's, it's getting, becoming again that the LGBT community is trying to say we do not have the right for religious liberty. They're saying that sexuality or sexual preferences should tr always trump religious liberties. It's coming, folks. It's coming. Just like the people here were having to stand up against the religious leaders. It stirred, I mean, the religious leaders were upset. They were mad. How dare you to teach something contrary that we believe? How dare you to, to try to make, it, make us look bad? There's a clash of worldviews. And with that in mind, let's kind of as we go to verse 12. Here's one thing that they don't like. Notice what the, I mean, verse 11. He quoted from Scripture. He said, There's no, this is the stone which is set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. What did, what did Peter do? He preached from the scriptures. He quoted or kind of phrased what it was teaching in Psalm 118, verse 22. See, they do not like the idea that we're going to stand upon the word of God. That's one reason the Bible does not have the influence upon our culture today as it used to. Because, because notice also verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we... What's that next word? Must. 
Now, what is the idea? What's the, what's the concept behind the word must? It's like, this is the only way. This is it. If you want to go to heaven, you must, you must, you must go through the name of Jesus Christ and His shed blood. It doesn't say can be saved. Like, the, well, you can, you can do it this way or you can do it this way. You can do it. No, he said, you must. If you want to be saved, it must be through the name of Jesus Christ. That's what we call an absolute. And the world does not want people to have absolutes. You're doing so much what it teaches in Proverbs, two different verses. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof the ways of what? Death. Man's wanting to do what, well, here's what I think is right. Well, here's what I think is right. Here's what I think is right. No, this book right here is an absolute truth. And so that's why Peter, he, he, he had boldness to stand in front of the religious leaders, the leaders of the people. Because notice what it says, verse 13. This is again the, the kind of the second point. A world, a biblical worldview needs boldness. Now, when they saw the boldness, the boldness of Peter and John standing up, saying something, knowing that it's going to make the other people mad. Boldness. How much boldness do we have to stand up today? Not wanting to offend. Not wanting to hurt someone's feelings. Now don't misunderstand me. We don't go out there deliberately like a bull in a china closet. So I don't care what you think. I'm going to say what I believe. That's not a spiritual attitude. But boldness to proclaim the truth of God's word. It's just like, I don't know if you read the article too, but <clears throat> there was a woman, said this happened I guess yesterday or last night, uh, sitting there in an outside dining area in Washington, D.C. And the Black Lives Matter crowd came around there doing their chanting and hollering and everything. And they went to all the people in this area and demanded that they raise their fist in support of their cause. One woman refused to do it, and they gave her so much havoc because she would not go along with the crowd. You know, that takes boldness. You know, what? one thing that's kind of sad is how all these people, because also they said that most of the group in that crowd, the Black Lives Matter, were mostly white people. And what, what is so sad is that here they want to be part of a cause. They want, to, they want to be involved in something that matters. Oh, how the devil is deceived and do not realize this is the most important cause they can be part of. But they had boldness. I'd like for us to consider what boldness is. That's the courage to stand up, speak out, and be willing to suffer whatever consequences comes as a result of it. That's boldness. How much boldness do we have to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ and the truth of His Word? I'd like for us to look at a few verses in regard to this. First of all, Psalm 96 Psalm 96, verse 3, 
There are many other verses we could look at, but we don't want to spend all of our time flipping through the pages. No, it would all, scripture's all good. But Psalm 96, verse 3, God's word says this admonition. Declare his glory among the heathen. His wonders among all people. Declare it. Amongst who? The heathen. It's easy for us to do it here at church. It's easy to praise the Lord and say, yes, amen, that's God's truth. But how are we when we're out amongst the world? When you're checking out at Walmart. I remember one time, I guess this is the last time I was in Walmart before we started ordering online and all that stuff, getting pickup. But uh, the things are starting to really, you know, get going with about all the uh, social distancing and the masking and everybody's uh, COVID was get, just getting started. And just checking out and uh, talking with the cashier. And boy, she was cussing this and cussing that. And, and all about, the, about the, you know, how things were going and how people are being stupid, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I, <clears throat> I said, well, I know what you mean. It is sad the way things are going, but thank God God's in control. Man, I'm telling you, it's like a light switch. She just didn't say another word. But you know, that's what we need to be doing is declaring His glory among the heathen. We don't have to get up on a soapbox and holler and rant and rave. Just good, solid, biblical statements. Maybe just a phrase, just a sentence, whatever. Just letting people know God is real and His truth is real. Get them thinking. Let's look at another verse. Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. Notice what God's Word says here. The wicked flee when no man pursueth. But notice the last phrase. But the righteous are bold as a lion. The righteous are bold as a lion. Now, there's two, thing, two main thoughts I'd like for us to consider there. Again, the importance of boldness. And we know what, you know, the reputation a lion has. You know, he's the king of the jungle. He roars and, people, and things just kind of, you know, quiver. Here comes the, uh, the, the king of the jungle. It says the righteous are as bold as a lion. In other words, you know what that means is when we stand upon the truth of God's word, we do not need to be ashamed we do not need to cower. We do not need to back off. We don't need to have the idea, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings. We need to be bold in our stand for the things of God. But notice the foundation of that boldness. The righteous are bold as a lion. That exhorts us to live a godly life. If we want to have boldness in an authoritative way, and when I say authoritative in the sense of with boldness, we need to be living a godly life ourselves. It's kind of hard to stand up for the truth of God's word when there's a lot of obvious sin in our own life. I mean, just think about what's going on with Jerry Falwell Jr. I mean, he had to resign. Why? Because he was not righteous. Here he tried to proclaim that, you know, we're, we uphold the Bible and the truth of God's word and we stand for Trump, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. He had to step down. Why? Because he wasn't righteous. He's going to become a voice that nobody will want to listen to. 
But when you and I strive to live a life of godliness, that helps, gives us a, a platform, a foundation to be bold and say, and thus saith the word of God, no, I am not perfect, but by God's word and God's grace, here upon I stand. Righteous, or bold as a lion. And then one other verse, <clears throat> turn with me to Mark chapter 8. This really, this is a quote from Jesus Christ himself. Mark 8, verse 38. Mark 8, 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What is Jesus saying here? He puts it very plainly. When you and I are ashamed to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ, then in a sense, he's ashamed of us. Where's our boldness? Again, not arrogance. Not being confrontational. But just plainly standing for God and His truth. Jesus saw the issue here. He said, are you going to stand for me? Are you going to be bold for the cause of Christ? Are you going to be a witness of holding the truths of God's Word? Or be like a lot of the denominations even that are capitulating in, the, in many areas scripturally. They, they, they deny the creation of, uh, as it teaches in Genesis 1. They're, they're, they're letting women preachers, which is plainly contrary to scripture. They're also capitulating to the LGBT community. God is saying, look, I want you to stand for the truth of God's word. Boldness. We need Boldness. Proclaim the truth of God's word. And then what I'd like for us to really concentrate upon is the last thought here. Is notice verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know what he's saying? What this scripture is saying? What gave Peter and John such boldness to stand up and stand for the truth of God's word? The fact that they had been with Jesus. Now, in a negative aspect, notice one thing it says. They perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. Now, what did that mean? What does that mean? He said, wait, 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 wait a minute. Who are you to teach us scriptural things when you didn't, even, you didn't even go to Bible school. Who are you? You're just an old fisherman dealing with stinky fish all day. Who, are you, who do you think you are trying to tell us we're the educated elite of society? And you know what I can, we can get from this? Education does not make you a good Christian. Education, education is not what makes us effective as a bold witness for Jesus Christ. Now let, me, now let me get the whole thing out before we come to any wrong conclusions. I am not saying that going to school is bad. I'm so thankful for the bachelor's degree that I have. 
I'm so thankful that for the opportunity for someone. Education is good. The more you can hone your skills, the better off anybody is. But if we rest upon that, I know of one pastor, he said he had a bachelor's degree, and he said, well, I need to go back to college and get my master's so it'll make me a better pastor. You know what? He went back, got his master's, and he wasn't a bit different. I remember when I was a BJ, I was taking Greek, and by God's grace, pulled straight A's in it. And I remember in our freshman immaturity, someone was telling us that, you know, we've got one for professors. He has his devotions from the, Greek, from the Greek manuscript. And we all thought, ooh, wow, you know. We thought, man, he must be a spiritual giant because he reads it from the Greek. Then give it a few years of maturing, realized all that meant was he's highly educated in Greek. He may have been spiritual, but it was because he studied it in the Greek. It wasn't because of his education. And please understand what I'm saying. And there, are some, there are a lot of denominations that won't even hire a pastor unless he has a PhD. But the church is still as dead as a doornail. Education does not give us the power to stand boldness, boldly. Again, education is good, it's important. And I would encourage every young person to, to, to whatever field the Lord may be calling to, to get a good education. But that's not where the source of our boldness will come. It comes by spending time with Jesus. Because isn't that not what they said? They said, you're, you're un, unlearned, you're uneducated. But we, we, why, where did this boldness come from? Oh, You've been with Jesus. So folks, if we're going to face the gathering storm, and if we're going to be faithful so that Jesus will not be ashamed of us, we need boldness to stand the truth of God's Word. And if we want to have that boldness, it means spending time with Jesus. Spending time by reading all about him. You know, I highly recommend reading through the Gospels just to get to know more of the heart and the mindset of our Savior Jesus Christ and the passion he had for pleasing the Father, for, the, for the, his yieldingness, willing to suffer anything and everything for the cause of God. I mean, you think about it. He, he knew what was going to be the reaction of the, of the people by and large. And he told them, said, in three days, I mean, I'm going to be crucified, but three days I'm going to rise again. And they said, oh, no, no, you're, no, no. <clears throat> and he rebuked Peter because Peter was trying to rebuke him. We need to be in this book. We need to be spending time on our knees talking with God. Because <clears throat> we need to understand again, just reading this book does not necessarily make us spiritual. Now, a spiritual person will be somebody that reads this book. Because you know, the devil knows this book better than you and I. It's because <clears throat> thinking about it, going back to the idea about 
like I say, I, I, I studied Greek, and I, I still, I mean, in my own personal study, I use it all the time. I, in my Bible program, every time I prepare a me, uh, message, I go to the part that shows the English and then the Greek, and I study that out and everything like that. But I realize that's not what's going to give me spiritual power. Because I think there in Proverbs chapter 1 where God says, Turn you at my reproof, and I'll open up my words unto you. You know what really gives the spiritual power is a submissive spirit toward the Word of God. And getting down on our knees and talking with the Lord about issues in our life and the issues that's important to God. See, that's, what, that's part of the purpose of prayer. So many times we have this false notion, which is just a selfish notion, that prayer is getting God to do what we want. Trying to convince God, and the Lord, this is what needs to be done. Lord, I want you to do this. But the purpose of prayer is really to get us in tune with God and His focus, His purpose, His thinking, His way. And as we get in this book and we get on our knees and then we spend, what happens, we get to get a closer relationship with Jesus. And then what happens? That gives us the boldness to realize this is the truth and I'm going to stand for my Lord. And another thing, that's important to help us. I think what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which again, this coming Sunday, Lord willing, we'll start a study in 2 Corinthians, so I encourage you to start reading it so we can kind of be on the same page with it. But what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He said, the love of Christ does what? Constrains me. The love of Christ. Now, there's always that question now, does that mean my love for him compels me or his love for me? Well, I think that what it's referring to is his love for me. Because, see, our love for Christ is kind of like a roller coaster, is it not? Some days we really feel close, some days we feel so far, some days we're good with it, some days we're not. I think what compels us to be like Paul and boldly preach the Word of God is realizing how much he loved me, how much he loved you. When we think about how much he loves us, we want to stand for it. Now, so in turn, it is kind of both ways. Because he loved me, therefore I love him. I will be bold for my Lord. No matter what may come, I will be bold for my Lord. Kind of makes me think of this somewhat of a simple illustration. Is that I've been bitten a couple times by German shepherds. And so when it comes to big dogs, I like dogs. But anytime I go to a new place, my first thing I'm always looking for is there a dog? And I get I break out in a sweat if I see a big dog, especially barking and coming towards the car till our truck, till I know is this dog gonna lick me or bite me. But there's one thing I've noticed though. Anytime I go to a place and Mary's with me, I will step between me and that dog, her and that dog. Why? Because of my love for her, I want to protect her. Bite me if you will, but you leave my wife alone. And see, when we have a love for Christ, that will compel us, constrain us to want to stand for Him, to have a boldness for Him. Because we need to think about it. A gathering storm is coming. A storm is gathering. 
Who would have ever thought? I mean, most of us that are here, a good percentage of us, probably three-fourths of us, we're baby boomers. And who would have thought when we were a teenager the things that would be in our country and society would be like it is today? And it's like a snowball. It's going to just keep getting bigger and faster. The, the forces of evil are not going to stop until they have their way. So it would behooves us that we must be bold in standing for the truth no matter what it may cost us. I mean, for example, also in the, the LGBT, they talk about religious liberty. They're already, they're already, it's already, I read an article where, where they're thinking, uh, well, one of the presidential candidates said, if you, don't have, if you don't stand this particular way, we're going to take away your tax exemption status. Can you imagine what the property taxes on this place, $2.2 million is what it's valued at. Can you imagine how much we would have to pay if our tax exemption status was removed? A lot of churches couldn't afford it. They'll have to close. That's exactly what they want. What if it gets to the point that no, we will not accept a homosexual as a member of this church because we firmly believe in what the scriptures teach about it? Well, okay, if that being the case, we're going to take the pastor to jail. I'll go in your place, brother. Are we willing to have the boldness to stand and accept the consequences of standing for the Lord? But boldness comes by spending time with Jesus. Oh, how we need to spend time with Jesus. Let's close in a word of prayer. Every head bowed and every eye clothed. How much time are you spending with the Lord? There may be somebody here that may have the attitude of, like a lot of younger people today, have like, well, whatever. I just pray that God will grip your heart to show you the importance of loving Jesus and standing for the truth. Because it is truly a cause worth standing for, proclaiming a biblical worldview. Is there sin in your life that means like, well, I don't, I don't feel like I should say anything because I know I'm not right with the Lord. Well, get right. Confess your sin. Seek God's grace to get victory over it. Speak the truth in your own heart. Father, have your will and your way in our lives. Oh, Father, give us grace to stand up for Jesus. That's what we sing tonight. Oh, Father, may you give us the courage to hold the banner high, the truth of your word. And oh, Father, how we need to grow in our relationship with you. Guide our heart, hearts, Father. Guide our thoughts. Use us for your glory. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen.